Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. So this morning, I woke up to a text message from my boss here, Dan Alder, Reverend Dan Alder, and he said, Jared, I think maybe I should preach tomorrow. I think I'm going to take the sermon back since UNC1, I'm going to talk about how good triumphs over evil. And I thought two things. I thought, well, shouldn't every sermon be about good triumphing over evil? And the second thing I thought is, wow, what a mercy for you Duke fans this morning that I'm preaching because I don't care enough to make your lives miserable. So So our passage this morning in Luke chapter 20 is, I believe, a very good passage for us to take a look at coming up to Holy Week. The lectionary has it there for a reason, and that is because in many ways it it is a kind of turning point, boiling point, preparing for what's going to happen on Good Friday, what we're going to be celebrating here in just two weeks. Dan said, we're almost there. I don't know how it's been for you with Lent this year, but we're, we're almost there. Keep, keep running. So if you have a Bible this morning, I would love for you to open it up to Luke chapter 19. Uh, there are Bibles scattered throughout the sanctuary as well in the chairs in front of you. If you don't have one or don't have a good one, please take this with you today. But I would love for, uh, for us to take a look at the context heading up to our passage in Luke chapter 20. So if your Bible is like mine, it has really nice headings, makes our lives easier. And what we see here is the triumphal entry. Well, I don't want to talk too much about that today because we'll be talking about that next Sunday. But what happens when Jesus comes into Jerusalem? It's not the triumphal experience that everyone thought it would be. It's not the king coming in to take over, to bring a new kingdom. This kingdom is going to be uh, celebrated. Everyone's going to receive it well. No, what, it, what happens when Jesus enters Jerusalem? Verse 41, he weeps over the city. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. What else happens? One of the first things that Jesus does, he goes into the temple and he cleanses it. They don't give us too much detail in here, but we have to imagine a pretty crazy scene. Jesus did a good job of taking people off. First thing he did when he entered the city, cries over it, and then gives them reason to hate him. Okay? So that is leading up to Luke chapter 20. What we see at the beginning of Luke chapter 20, it says, One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. He answered them, I will, all, I will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay, so leading up to this passage, Jesus has managed to make some people really angry. Okay, they are looking for a way to nail him to the wall. Jesus doesn't give it to them as easily as they wanted. He says, I will not tell you by what authority I do these things. So if you remember, the ministry of Jesus starts at his baptism. 
And at his baptism, Jesus has Jesus comes and he's baptized, and the Father sends the Spirit down upon him and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Okay, so his authority is established from the very beginning. It says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Jesus. Okay, however, on morning prayer uh, on Monday, we had a passage from Mark chapter 1, and one of the things that we looked at was as Jesus does his ministry over a period of three years, he often tells people, this interesting thing. He says, go, sin no more. If they are healed, he'll tell them, go to the priest, show him that you're healed. He doesn't say, go tell everyone you know about me. He says, keep it on the down low. Okay? And we talked about that at morning prayer here in the sanctuary on Monday morning. A couple of us who were reading the passage said, why does Jesus keep his ministry such a secret? Or why is it only certain people who he encounters get to know who he is? Now, some of these people don't listen to Jesus, and they go out and they tell everyone they know. And so the secret's starting to get out. But Jesus isn't walking around from day one saying, I'm the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who's come to fulfill everything that was foretold. Listen to me. Instead, he's encountering individual people who find out who he is. And so the word is getting out. People know this guy's pretty important but he doesn't shout it from the rooftops from day one. However, what we're about to see in the passage today, the secret is about to, is about to get out. The cat's going to be out of the bag. Everyone's going to know who this man is, and he's going to give them every reason they were looking for to try and deal with him, this problem that he's become for the leadership of Israel. So they say, by what authority do you do these things? And he says, I will not tell you by what authority I do these things. But then, if we look in verse 9, he says, and he began to tell the people this parable. So what do we imagine here? There's a group of people. These are the leaders. They've come to Jesus and they've said, by what authority did you just cleanse the temple? Who are you that you, of all people, get to do this thing? That's pretty, that's pretty interesting. And he says, I'm not going to tell you. But then he turns and he looks at the people. Okay. So I have to imagine, Jesus is going to answer their question, but he's not going to answer it the way that they thought he would. So he tells them this parable. A man planted a vineyard, and he let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, this one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. So here in verse 13, he says, I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. If you remember, just in the passage before that, he was talking about the baptism of John. And here we're reminded of the baptism of John again. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Except now it's not a secret anymore. Jesus is saying in front of this group, the beloved son has come to collect the fruit 
of the vineyard. Who are the servants that have been sent? These are the Old Testament prophets, the ones who've come many times to God's people. What's the vineyard? As soon as they hear the term vineyard, we, don't, we kind of think of this nice metaphor that Jesus is using. But if we turn back to Isaiah chapter 5, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Okay, so as soon as Jesus says this, everyone's ears are popping up. They're saying, interesting. Because in that passage, he talks about God bringing down judgment upon the leadership of Israel. The Old Testament prophets are the servants that God has sent to his people again and again and again and said, come back to me, listen to me. And they have been time and time again rejected, beaten, wounded, including John the Baptist, who gets killed for what he's saying. But then I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. And what happens to the son? When the, when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so the inheritance may be ours. Okay, Jesus knows what they're about to do. He knows what they're trying to do. And he's, in a sense, he's almost giving it to them. But the irony is he's not giving it to them the way they wanted. When they came and said, by what authority do you do these things? They were hoping for an easy answer. And Jesus instead looks at the people, and what does he do? He calls them out. He says, these your leaders, these your leaders are not listening to God. They are not for God. They are killing the ones that he has sent to them. These people had to be seething. These leaders had to be so upset with him. They thought, this would be their satisfaction. And Jesus is, in a sense, almost robbing them of that satisfaction by provoking them. Okay? They're so mad they can't even be happy that he just gave them the answer they wanted. Right? They can't be like, oh, yeah, finally, we have this thing that we can nail him to the wall with. Instead, they're thinking, now the people are upset with us. Now they know who we truly are. This guy needs to be dealt with. We need to get rid of this guy. So they are seething, they are upset. So Jesus says, he looks directly at them and says, what then is it that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So Jesus is saying, my path, my entry into Jerusalem is going to end with my death. But here's the good news. It will not be the end. They think that they are getting that they're rejecting the stone, but that cornerstone, that stone they're rejecting, that's the cornerstone. It will crush them. Okay, so Jesus is saying, they're going to try and deal with me. They're going to get rid of me. But this very thing that they're going to do, that's going to be the salvation of Israel. That's going to be the good news for everybody. So where are we in this story? When Jesus says, the stone that the builders rejected has become this cornerstone, when he says, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others, Jesus is doing something new. This will not be the end. It will be the beginning of something, something of which we in this room are a part of 2,000 years later. We are in this story. We are part of this next chapter that God is starting.
So I have three things that I would like for us to take from this passage this morning. The first thing I would like for us to take from this passage is our ministry is Christ's ministry. Jesus is the Lord of the vineyard. He is the heir. He is the beloved son. He is the one in whom God is well pleased. He is starting something new. I think of when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I don't know how you're feeling, but in this time, church is a complicated thing. Leaders of churches are a complicated thing. And I think that many of us find it challenging these days because we see how leaders screwed up so badly. In many ways, so many times, leaders are not leading in the name of Christ. They are achieving their own agendas. They are building churches built around their brand. Okay? It's all about who they are and what they have to offer to the world. But Jesus is the Lord of the vineyard. It is his ministry. And 2,000 years later, we are participating in what he is doing. I think that's a relief. I think that's a comfort. I think that's a help to us. Because at the end of the day, if I screw up, if I, as the director of community and worship at Redeemer, if I mess up, Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think that is really good news to us today. So thought a lot about this this week because I have to preach in these things here. And uh, I will say of the two options that we wear at Redeemer, this is my least favorite to wear and to preach in. This is really heavy, okay? It weighs a lot. It's kind of clunky. I can't move around as well. I like the, the alb that we wear in other times of the year. It's a, little, it's a little lighter. I feel like I can move around. I used to preach back in, at our church in Frankfurt. I would preach a lot, and I would just preach in a blazer. And I will say part of me wanted to just wear my blazer today and preach in that. But I think that this is a really interesting thing because I don't know how you feel about them, but what this is supposed to communicate is it's not about me. Okay? It's not about Jared Wenzel and his personality, how he likes to dress, what he brings to the table. On Sunday morning when I get up here to represent Jesus, that's what I'm doing. I'm participating in his ministry. I don't think you have to wear robes to be a good Christian, but I do think that this is a helpful message to the world we live in today. And I think that our church in the United States needs it desperately. Church is not about me. It's not about Dan. It's not about Alan. It's not about any one of the preachers that are up here on a regular basis. There is no personality called a Redeemer, and if there is, we should get rid of it. It's Christ's ministry. We are participating in that. And so my question for you today would be, Maybe the Lord's not calling you to ordain ministry, to get up and wear these heavy vestments up here. But where is God calling you to participate in what he's doing? Where is God calling you to lead? I think for some of us, we've had a nice respite for a few years. We've been able to relax a little bit, catch our breath. That was well needed. But I think my question would be, what is God calling you to do now in this season of your life? Where is he calling you into his ministry? The second thing I would like for us to take from this passage today is we are all farmers. 
So I think that our church is blessed because we have a farm out here. Believe it or not, it's not just something we do really good for the community. I believe that God is using it every once in a while to remind us of his truth. There's a reason why God uses farm imagery all the time in the scriptures. Why Jesus again and again, his parables are rooted in farming. And part of it is hard for us sometimes because we're a bit disconnected from this. Right? We are used to going to the store and everything being ready for us and we can just take it. If I have enough money in my pocket, I can have anything in the world I want. And this is, I feel like this is low-hanging fruit. Um, I feel like this has been used probably too many times already in sermons, but I'm going to talk about it. Um, it was really hard when we ran out of toilet paper. I said, I, I almost feel bad for using this, but it's also a trauma. It's clearly a trauma we all have that we're going to need to work through probably for a couple more years. That lesson was really interesting, right? Because I don't know about you, but I'm not going to go chop down a tree and make toilet paper. I don't want to have to take a bath every time I use the restroom. Okay? So, but we're used to that working, right? I go to the store, I get my thing, I leave. Instant gratification. As long as I have enough money in my pocket, the world is my oyster. And what that lesson taught us was it doesn't always work that way. Someone has to make the thing. Some, somewhere there's things going on that that stuff gets produced, and unfortunately that broke down. Now, thankfully, in the kingdom of God, God's supply chain does not break down. And I think that this toilet paper image is really great for salvation. Okay? Because for salvation, there's nothing you can do to contribute to your salvation. The Lord's work on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ Starting something new is a completed work outside of ourselves. There's nothing we can do. It is the toilet paper that we go. It's on the shelf for us. We take it home. We enjoy it. We don't have to do anything for it. That is a great image. But the image that God gives us for sanctification, for the kingdom of heaven that we're now a part of because of his free gift, is farming. Right? So the other day, I love that I get to occasionally participate in these kind of things. I was invited by the farm staff. They needed someone to help close the hoop houses. Okay, so we have in the back of our property, we have these lovely hoop houses. And because North Carolina weather can't decide to stay the same, I, in my clothes more dressed for 70 degree weather, went out and, uh, and helped close up the hoop houses in Madison so that when the frost came that night, it wouldn't ruin all of our crops. Very interesting. And one of the things I noticed as we're out there is there's, there's weeds in, in the ground all the time. I don't know if you were around last year, you knew weeds get out of control. And I thought in that moment, I was like, I am way too lazy to be a farmer. I can't do this. This is getting down on my knees all the time and pulling weeds. Watering constantly, all the work. They could give you a list, and I would invite you, this, this summer we're going to do, on our Wednesday Night Connections, we're going to open it up for farming together. We'll talk more about that later. You don't need to think too much that right now, but this summer we're going to have plenty of opportunities for us to learn what all farming entails as a church, and I think it'll be really great for our spiritual, spiritual growth. Farming is hard. He said, I think I'm too lazy for it. But this is the image that God uses to describe sanctification in his kingdom. 
Becoming more like Jesus is by participating in the vineyard that he has invited us to be a part of. And sometimes that means you're going to have to get your hands dirty. Sometimes that means you're going to have to do more work than you want to. It is not going to be on the shelf for you to take. And so God is inviting us to participate in his vineyard, to cultivate the ground of his ministry. What is God calling you to cultivate in this season? What is the field in your life or the field in the world around you where God is saying, time to get to work? And now my third point, we are called to bear fruit. So, like I, I, we talked about before, I'm really relieved that Lent is almost over. I don't know about you, but this year Lent was a really interesting season in my life, a good one, but a hard one. I started off Lent really raw. Okay, so the first couple weeks of Lent, I was like, man, when I take a look at my own heart, the things that I'm saying to other people, the, the things I'm thinking about other people, God was doing, he was bringing some things to my attention. And I think that that was a helpful thing. And I found myself often thinking, man, it would be nice if I could just deal with these problems like that. Bearing fruit is a little bit more complicated than that. Bearing fruit is all about seasons. So I would like for us to take a look. I have a slide of an image of how vineyards work. It's a bit small, but I'd like to just show you what the vineyard process looks like. So I don't know if you see this really well, but it, it's, it's a long one. There's a lot of different steps. It's not very simple. It is cyclical. So it starts with pruning, bud burst, leaf growth, flowering, fruit set, um, brazian harvest, leaf drop, pruning. I'm not going to go into each and every one of these details. I do not know nearly enough about farming to let you know what these, all these things mean. But what I want you to notice is pruning is an essential part of this process. Sometimes we are called to prune in our lives. Sometimes we see that there are things in my life that for God to bring the fruit that I would like to see, I have to prune first. I think this is really helpful that we celebrate the seasons of the church year here at Church of the Redeemer. Because maybe your spiritual growth is not synced up with the church calendar Mine was this year. There's been times where it hasn't been. But I thought it was very helpful for me to have the season of Lent to be thinking about what is God pruning in my own heart right now? One of my favorite authors, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book called Life Together. And I think it's a great manual for community and worship. And so I found it often inspiring to me in my role as director of community and worship here at Redeemer. In this, he says, and there's a, it should be up on the slides for you, Christian community is like the Christian's sanctification. It is a gift of God, which we cannot claim. Only God knows the real state of our fellowship, of our sanctification. What may appear weak and trifling to us may be great and glorious to God. Just as the Christian should not be constantly feeling his spiritual pulse, so too the Christian community has not been given to us by God for us to be constantly taking its temperature. 
The more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. I think that in this particular passage from Life Together, I think he brings this point really well to paper. He says, sanctification is a gift of God. It is something which grows. Only God knows the real state of our fellowship. And what may appear weak and trifling may be glorious to the Lord. So if in your journey with the Lord, you are feeling this point of things are not the way I want them to be. Things are harder than I think. If you're at work, if you have your hands in the dirt and you're cultivating the field that God has given you, sometimes you have to wait for that fruit to appear. And a lot of times in those moments, he uses an image that I think is really helpful. What we like to do is we like to take our pulse. And we like to take the pulse of our church community. So let's start with taking my pulse. What does that image tell us? Well, normally when we take a pulse, what we do, unless you really know a lot about pulses, some people who are good at training know a little bit more than this, but generally what we're doing is checking to see if someone's alive, right? And like I said, unless you're like really good at that stuff and know like this tells me how much my blood pressure is and how healthy I am, the fact is it's more of like, do I have a pulse, okay? And what we're doing is we're, 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 we're too black and white often for what God is doing in our lives, right? Am I alive or am I not? We want an easy answer. Am I doing well with the Lord or am I not doing well with the Lord? It's much more complicated than that. Bearing fruit is seasonal, and so we need to embrace the seasonality of what God is doing in our lives. And sometimes we are called to cultivate, to get our hands in the dirt, to plant. Sometimes we are called to wait prayerfully for the fruit that God is going to bring. It is much more complicated than taking my pulse. And so what Bonhoeffer says is we shouldn't be constantly taking our pulse. We should be patiently, prayerfully experiencing what God is doing in our lives right now. But he says the same about church. A lot of times with church, we do the same thing. We take its pulse. Is Church of the Redeemer alive or not? Is Church of the Redeemer doing well or is it not doing well? That is way too simple. God is doing things in this church because we are participating in his ministry. That is the question. As long as we are doing that, as long as we are submitting to him, he is doing things. He has promised it. He has assured us of it. He is working in our lives. We are cultivating the fields that he has given us. And sometimes there might be more work to do. Sometimes there might be less work to do. And sometimes we don't really know yet what God is doing. We're in a time of massive transition at our church. Transition from COVID. Transition of leadership. Transition of ministry roles. We've had a number of people leave our staff to move on to the next chapter in their lives, the next season that God has for them. We have new people on our staff that God is using for this new season. But sometimes we have to bear patiently and wait to see what is God going to do at Church of the Redeemer. But a lot of times people want that easy answer. And what they love to do is 
to say, this church is really alive. I love it. This is awesome. Or they love to say, this church is, this is not working out for me. I got to go. And those might be right answers at different times. Sometimes it is time to take a pulse, right? If I'm laying on the ground bleeding out, you should check my pulse, okay? If Church of the Redeemer is laying down on the ground bleeding out, you should check its pulse. But that's not what God is doing in our lives right now. And I'm excited about what he's doing. But sometimes this past week, I had a number of times where I sat there and thought, I'm interested to see what God will do. Because right now, things are happening that will bear fruit, but we're not there yet. And sometimes that demands patience. Sometimes that demands asking questions. Sometimes that demands having hard, crucial conversations. But what may feel weak and trifling to us may be great and glorious to God. He knows what he's doing in his ministry, and he's excited for what's going to happen in your life and in our life. And so the more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. So I'm excited. I'm thankful to be here with you guys. I'm thankful to be a part of what God is doing in Greensboro at Church of the Redeemer. I'm excited for what he's been doing for many years before me. I'm excited that I get to be a part of this next chapter. And so I ask, what is God calling you to in his ministry? What field is God calling you to get your hands dirty in, to cultivate? And where are you in the, the growth process? Are you seeing fruit in your lives right now? Praise the Lord. Share it with others. Others may benefit from hearing what God is doing. Are you in a season of patience? Are you in a season of pruning? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your beloved Son in whom you are well pleased. We are listening to him, his words. We are prayerfully considering what you're doing in our church. Thank you for allowing us to share in your ministry. Please show us the fields that we have to cultivate where we need to get our hands dirty. Lord, and please help us to embrace the seasonality of what you're doing in bringing and bearing fruit in our lives. We do all this to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.